1: Welcome back. Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. I am Seth Leapson, and our phone number is 602 508 602 in the alternative cadence. I um, will do my monologue in the third hour, at the top of the third hour at 5 o'clock. I just – I stumbled upon a tweet here that uh, is, I think, perhaps – the tweet of the day maybe the tweet of the week let me give you the audio that attends to it real quickly if i might and um and then i'll and then i'll, I'll share it with you you've heard maybe some of you have heard this audio i think we're going to make a different point than you may have heard maybe we won't be but i think it's worth uh re just bear with me this is your president of the united states today i believe in massachusetts
0: former regulator in massachusetts is telling me on the way up how folks used to get a rag out and wipe the gunk off of their car's windshields in the morning just to be able to drive. Not very much unlike where I grew up in a place called Claymont, Delaware. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening? You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have
1: cancer. Okay, first of all, I thought he grew up in Scranton. <laughs> he can he can do this I guess any any time he wants and just come up with a city. Is that why he uses the word literally, by the way, so so frequently? wiping the gunk off the car, literally. I don't know that that's ever been a figurative sentence. Did you see Dana Carvey doing a s- stand-up routine, imitating Joe Biden? It was fantastic. He was talking about how Joe Biden will say things and then finish it with either literally or not a joke, and he'll tell a story. My dad was a truck driver. I was a truck driver, not a joke. And Dana Carvey goes, does he know what a joke is? Because no one ever thought that stuff funny, whether true or not. It's just, it's, it, No one thought that was a joke. But that's not the point. The point is... I and so many damn other people I grew up with have cancer. Okay, so the tweet of the day, it belongs to a guy I don't think I know. If I do, I apologize. Greg, Greg Price, he writes, you know, things have gotten ridiculous. Maybe we need a stronger word than that. You know, things have gotten ridiculous when the president of the United States says out loud that he has cancer and everyone responds by saying something like, oh, that's probably just his dementia. Or that's probably just his brain or mind or, you know, I yeah, that's that's right. You know, things have gotten not just ridiculous, perhaps not even absurd, but dangerous, dangerous. I don't know if people understand the danger of what is happening right now with our enemies on the rise. We're we're effectively, effectively on a war footing with regard to. Russia and Ukraine. At least that's what the president imparted to us at a State of the Union this year and spent 25 percent of the State of the Union opening up and talking about that war, which is still ongoing, which we are still funneling arms to, which I think we are going to take in coming from. That is, after all, why he, of course, was in um, the Middle East uh, this uh, past week and Europe the week before that. That is why he is constantly talking about inflation. He's blaming it on the war. But that's just part of it. Of course, you have China. Of course, you have Iran. Of course, you have our uh, our problems on the border. You have all of this going on. And we have a president who says he has cancer and everyone just says that's his dementia. Don't worry about it. I don't know what's worse. I mean, I wouldn't want to get into what's worse. Both are awful. And we would wish it on, of course, nobody, Republican, Democrat or I don't care what you just wouldn't you wouldn't wish it on anyone. But that's where we are as a country. We are at a place where people can hear their commander say he has cancer and the rest of the people say, well, no, he really doesn't. He just doesn't know what's going on. Wonderful. Wonderful. Nefarious times we live in. That was the name of a short story by Woody Allen in the 70s. It's not applicable to this at all except for the title. Nefarious and dangerous times we live in. All the more reason why what he said today is so dramatically important, so dramatically important. Joe Biden today said this Congress, notwithstanding the leadership of that men and women that are here today, has failed in its duty. So let me be clear. Climate change is an emergency. Climate change is an emergency. Focus on that. Folks. Just yesterday, I think it was just yesterday. If it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before, I think it was yesterday. Just yesterday, we were talking about what we were doing in the name of a public health emergency called COVID. And it upended constitutional rights, including all individual liberties, all commercial liberties, all travel liberties, all religious worship liberties, all kinds of things. We upended our constitution, and our individual rights for in the name of a public health emergency, a public health emergency, by the way, which, you know, most of the country, including most of the so-called experts, got wrong, both in their predictions and in real time. And those of us who said, can we take this calmly, please? were born out to have been right. We were just saying yesterday it's coming back. The COVID public health emergency is coming back, and we'll talk about that. It's coming back in our schools everywhere from San Diego to New York City, and I'll get into that. But think about what it means when we declare something an emergency. Many of us were worried about this during COVID. If we can do this during COVID, if we can shut down the country, religious services, schools, you name it, commerce, business, all that, travel, if we can do that in the name of an emergency, what will be the next emergency we do that or perhaps worse in? What it would mean for Biden to declare a national climate emergency is a piece over at Yahoo News. And it's kind of odd that this piece came up because it came up yesterday, the day before Joe Biden said what he said today. It's obviously been in the air. It's obviously been not a joke. discussed. In the White House and throughout the administration and probably throughout every precinct of the Democratic Party. You hear it from the AOC types. You just didn't think it would filter up to someone who was, you know, raised and bragged about being a truck driver and lunch pail Joe. And uh, shall we just say Scranton or now whatever this new city in Delaware he's introduced to the nation that he was raised in. I've never heard of that. I've never heard him say it before. But as the Yahoo News piece says. A formal declaration would open up new possibilities for unilateral action by the executive branch to combat climate change. That should give you shivers. The declaration itself can open up possibilities of unilateral action by the executive branch to combat climate change, including halting U.S. exports of crude oil and halting offshore drilling. The story continues. Biden could even redirect military funding to the construction of renewable energy projects. And impose trade penalties and permit deforestation, such as places in Central and South America. And it would fuel all kinds, of course, of lawsuits, but all kinds of lawsuits that would be defended by, of course, his administration and a bench that he has been appointing judges and justices to. We can't get through this administration fast enough or quickly enough, folks, or put a check on its power Fast enough or quickly enough, the reason the president of the United States, whoever it is, has so much executive authority is because Congress gave it to the president. They delegated their powers to the president. This was one of the cases in the Supreme Court that came out last term. We can even raise it with Brett Johnson. when He joins us a little later in the show if you want to, our constitutional attorney expert. But be afraid, truly be afraid. When the president of the United States is declaring something an emergency, because we saw what happened last time an emergency was declared. And think about what the nature of the emergency is. Think about the nature of that emergency, the climate emergency. Think about what you have been told about climate change. You have had prognostication after prognostication from roughly 1965 onward. That also from the experts we were told we had to listen to has borne out to be wrong and wrong again in their predictions and in their real-time observations. So much so that you don't even hear about the 12-year mark anymore that dominated our conversation just about a year ago. And you have the phrase climate change. That never used to be the phrase. It was other things. It was global warming. It was all kinds of other things. One of the things that you better best be prepared for when you're voting in these primaries is thinking about when you're talking about Congress, particularly in the Senate, particularly who is going to be the best check, who understands the administrative state, the administrative state. Folks, the phrase for that that Donald Trump used and popularized was the swamp. We can also think of it as the bureaucracy, but it has a ton of power. You've seen it wielded. Don't forget what it was like when they did it before and when they were wrong before, because I think they're trying to do it again, and they'll be wrong again. But we will all pay the price for that series of errors. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. For those listening on uh, podcast, that was the uh, you're going to ruin my bad reputation. (laughs) Yeah, that's becoming more true every day, isn't it? But also every day, more harmful decisions by the current administration are hurting the economy, ruining the economy, robbing your savings and investments. Inflation is at a 41-year high, making your money worth less and less. And now there's a very real possibility of of a full-blown recession. You can't afford to lose more. The good news is when investments fall, gold traditionally holds its value, which is why I recommend the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of you already own precious metals from them, you can too. If you're interested, give them a call at 480-360-3000. They'll talk with you about protecting your investments and your future and your retirement. 480-360-3000 or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. Com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. There's Tim in Peoria. Hi, Tim. How are you? Good to see your name up there, Tim. How, how are things? Seth, how are you, sir? I am fine. I um, I have let you down on a homework assignment you gave me. You're, you're a teacher, right? You, you, you like to give out homework assignments, and I'm going to ask you for an I... extension on mine. Is that Okay.
2: You'll always – yeah, you'll always have an extension. Oh. I left teaching I left teaching back in 2018, but I'm still in education. I'm just working more along the lines of the, within the Milbic community, but always an extension for my greatest students. Uh, I, greatest I'd greatest like students. to think
1: of myself as one of your better students, so or at least a student. So stay on me, and I'll get to it. I promise. I It's just been, you know, <laughs> one of those months.
2: <laughs> awesome. You know, how taken aback uh, – were you and myself, as well as every American uh, listening to Joe Biden speak today, not just because of the asinine things that he says, but that he used cancer to make a political point. Thousands of people die of cancer every year. In fact, it was his son that he likes to raise. He likes to bring up Bo as being a person who died of cancer. That's a fair point. And yet now he uses it. He uses it as a political point, and it's abhorrent. Because not only is it wrong, but it's just an outright lie. And never mind the fact that he forgets that yet again he abandoned the people of Scranton and he did it again today by saying <laughs> that he grew up in Delaware. You some know, some President city in Delaware Trump, I've
1: never heard him mention before. I, yeah. I I couldn't even remember it. But yeah, yeah, exactly. I
2: will I will always praise one of one of President Trump's best one liners was Scranton, he abandoned you once and now today he abandoned you again. You know, I mean, it, it was just it was really and true really and
1: true. The people and, of and Scranton, and it's true. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. The only time that Scranton gets any uh, play in the media or actually in the people in the mouths of Americans is when we're talking about that great TV show known as The Office. But I digress.
1: No, you don't. Um, no, you I, don't. No, yeah. you don't. Because yeah. you've reminded me of another thing. There was a comic writer. From the office. He may have been the lead writer who gave a TED talk that a friend of mine forwarded me. I'm going to try and play the audio of it a little later. It was a talk. I'll just play the conclusion later. But it was a talk about the importance of knowing classical philosophy, classical political philosophy. One of the writers for the office was doing that, Tim. And what was fascinating to me is thinking about, you know, great comedians are great philosophers, too, because they're speaking to essential truths we all know. Otherwise, we wouldn't get the joke or the humor. It was really good. There's not 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 to rush or elide the importance of a show like that anyway.
2: (laughs) Right. No, I just I I, I'm, I'm just taken aback by the lack of concentration and follow up on the part of the media. I'm beginning to adopt the mindset that the media truly is the enemy of the people because they have failed us and you know their protection is is found in not in 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 the first eight great amendments but they're number one the freedom of the press and they have really let us down and it's really sad that they have done so just based off an ideology say what you will embrace whatever you you brace politically speaking but when politicians make a mistake, no matter if you follow them or not, you need to call them out on it. Joe Biden is an outright liar, and he's he's more damage to our country, in general, not just on the national security or on the on just on the fiber of our society, than anything else. And it, it's just abhorrent, disgusting, and I just can't move myself to understand why people voted for him, knowing that we are gonna get what we are getting today.
1: Or that he has any support to this moment or to at the at this moment in time, right, Tim? I mean it's it's if any president if any president in our history had said on a microphone hot accidentally, not accidentally, however, if he said he had cancer and we didn't know that, do you know what we would have called that? We would have called that a constitutional crisis. That's what we would have called Absolutely. that once upon a time. If you look at what
2: the media did. You bet. If you look at the, what the media did to cover for FDR. Yep. You know, and then moving on up, presidents would stick this. And I'll just say one thing. But, but think about what is a constitutional
1: crisis. Uh, go ahead. You, you, you make your point, and then yeah. I'll come back to mine. Go ahead. You
2: know, you know she unfortunately uh, carries on with the lie. And one of the things I picked up on her body language, she has an eye kick. When she's speaking, she closes her eyes. And if you look at the spasms. Of her eyes, when, when they're when they're closed, if you see the movement of her eyes, you can tell that she's having a hard time just saying what she's saying because she knows it's not true. Just take a look at it. It's not science, but it's definitely a tick that I looked up, and it's definitely ind- indicative of somebody who is not telling the truth.
1: Who, who is, Go who is, ahead. I'm sorry. Who was that, Tim? You That's t- his,
2: uh, his, his. I'm sorry. His press secretary. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Corrine.
1: Yeah, Corrine. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. It's spelled differently she than it's pronounced. Her eyes right, when right. She yeah. And her
2: eyes, her eyeballs spasm under the lid. You can see it.
1: Well, I, yeah, valid. I, I, I'll, I'll take, I'll take uh, your assessment of that. I, I, have never, I've never been able to, to discern that because God knows anyone who's ever watched me speak knows I'm, I've got a lot going on too, which is why we don't have a live camera. But the larger mm-hmm. point to the left, the constitutional crisis simply was a Republican in office. How many times did you hear we were in an existential threat? We were in a constitutional crisis just by mere dint of the fact that we had a Republican in office with the economy humming along fine and world peace on the precipice. Of becoming a reality universally. That was a constitutional crisis to the left. This, we just blithely live on with what this guy Greg tweeted. You know, things have gotten fill in the blank when the president of the United States says out loud that he has cancer and everyone just says, oh, that's probably just the dementia speaking. I mean, my goodness, Tim, my goodness, if there weren't a constitutional crisis over this, I don't you know, I, I just don't know that we, we, we have the same dictionary as the left anymore. I've been talking about that for some time, but we sure don't. We sure don't. Yeah, we're, 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 we're in the it's soup it's here, but
2: we're, you know, we're definitely in the soup, and it's unfortunate that you know I have four kids they are growing up in, in this, and they're seeing everything that's transpired. They're seeing a commander-in-chief not being honest to the American people. And while we know that people stretch the truth, We've never known a president to just outright lie the way President Biden has done, and it's it's just upsetting to me because he's ruining the office, yeah. the integrity of the office. Not that Trump did anything that you know was perfect, but again, life was better under the person that they all said was bad.
1: Yeah, I, I, Tim, stay close, man. Uh, keep 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 listening, keep calling. Um, uh, my friend Jim uh, emailed me. He's uh, after hearing my my uh, cold open. He said. Uh, it's almost as if that Yahoo News story and the administration were in lockstep. But the real surprising thing is that he would declare this notion of an emergency or speak of this notion of an emergency with the environment pre-election, that he would play that card pre-election. That shows you the mindset, the ardency, the fix of this administration. They don't care about the political wins. All the more to be afraid of. When the leadership doesn't care about what the people think, be afraid. Thanks, Tim. 34 past the hour, we join John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates to give us a culture and economy update. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He has a radio show here himself every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. How are you, John?
3: Anything goes, as they say. (laughs) You like that? (laughs) Uh, That sounds like it's from like a a movie, like a Jerry Lewis movie. Close, close, close. um, Or one of the uh, who is it, Bob Hope?
1: Well, it's a little more modern. It's from the opening of uh, Romance. the, the second Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Yes. That's what it was. And it tra- was sung by his wife, yeah, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Yeah. God, oh, yeah. Wow. Great opening. Yeah. With the little kid.
3: I knew I recognized it. Yeah,
1: yes. yeah, yeah. There's our there's our foreign language and our culture. Yeah, there you go. All We're right. Done. Let's All do the economy part. Drop the mic. <laughs> uh, John Dobrowski. Interest rate pain from higher inflation has barely begun, according to a story I'm re- reading in the Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal. Mm-hmm. Stocks, houses, corporate borrowers, and the Fed, Treasury may not be ready for a world of much higher real interest rates are we to take from this that the inflation we've been complaining about has barely touched us yet or not touched us yet
3: i mean that's possible seth uh, the fed is still you know in the process of raising rates there's yep. no question about it yep. uh, trying to uh, you get inflation under control uh there, there was a report also from uh, europe they came out 9.4 percent i believe it was yeah. their inflation rate uh so higher a little higher than ours even yeah. and then also um the highest in 40 years over in europe so uh, it's a worldwide thing that we're seeing uh, i i was talking a little bit about this before with uh, another client that i do believe the us is positioned better than probably any country out there however uh, it's certainly not fun, what we're going through right now. And yes, it could get worse. That is a possibility.
1: Okay, so that's one big item. But at the same time, we're reading, uh, and I think I, 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 think you may have seen the story that mortgage applications have hit their lowest level since 2000. Is that part since what, 2000? Is that part of it too, John?
3: Yeah, it, it's all part of it. Okay. Because in this particular um, article, it talks about applications for mortgages dropped 7% for the week and 19% um, for the year. Uh, same time over year, year, year over year. And the problem, of course, is that interest rates have doubled. Uh, we're looking at uh, close to 6% interest rates versus uh, the low, low, low 3% interest rates for the conforming loans. So that that's a huge difference when you're talking about uh, someone trying to qualify to purchase a home. And so we're seeing uh, the mortgage demand has dropped to a 22-year low at this point.
1: With housing going up, right? The attendant a to that is U.S. home prices have hit a record, right? hit a record, right. but
3: we have certainly started to see them top yeah. out. Okay. There's no question about that. Okay.
1: All right, so putting this all together, we expect the Fed to raise rates again, and yes. and, and we weren't sure we were going to be seeing that any more than we were positive that they were going to do it in the last round. We kind of right. thought maybe, but some people thought maybe not, and we thought that going forward, maybe that was enough. Maybe we hit the Goldilocks number. Most thinking is they're going to raise rates again, and that's something that we're all going to feel, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and I believe that the market, though, has that baked in already, that three-quarter percent rate hike. Would
1: that explain today's good news from the market? It looked like good news from the market. It was,
3: yeah, the market was a little bit flat early in the day, but it did, you know, a little over over time throughout the day. It started to build a little momentum, and, and all the indexes closed higher again today. The NASDAQ, again, outperforming. Um, So we're starting to see some signs of life for the market. I don't know if this is going to be just something that we're going to get some negative news somewhere along the line and the market will pull back. But we certainly have seen over the past couple of weeks a couple of great days for the market. Uh, and a few pullbacks, but nothing of any real significance uh, that I th- that I thought was worrying. But again, there's always this looming threat out there, Seth, and that's what everybody's worried worried about. They're thinking, when is the next shoe going to drop? Because there's been nothing but negative news out right. there for so long right. uh, that we're we're waiting for some other big piece of negative news to occur. I mean, I would hope that that doesn't happen, right. but it's if it is going to be a big issue, it's going to be this, this inflationary pressure that we're feeling and that it's not going to be going away soon uh, and that we're going to start to see GDP slow down. And if that's the case, then we're going to be in a recession. So we're, we're just waiting and seeing. We really don't have all of the news yet. It, we're still waiting to see what the uh, – Uh, news is going to be over the next few weeks and into the next month. You know what? Next time we visit, John,
1: might be interesting for our listeners. I think it would be would be maybe uh, one, two or three things that if you stay awake at night, keep you awake at night. Mm. The, th- the one, two, or three things that you think we should be more worried about than we seem to be, maybe next time we visit. That would and be you know it would be interesting yeah. for
3: people out there who are listening, for them to shoot me a quick email, sure. Dear John at grandcanyonplanning.com. Give me a couple things that keep you up at night oh, and yeah, we'll talk great. about it.
1: That's great. And if you go- didn't remember that, what is it? Give it out again. Dear
3: John at com.
1: Perfect. And they can email me and I'll forward it to you if they can't write it down or remember it if they're on the in the car right now. Uh, John Tabrowski, Thank you.
3: I appreciate it. Thanks. Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client1 Securities LLC, member of Finron and, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client1 Securities LLC are not affiliated.
1: Bless you, you, sir. Talk to See you later. There. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Life has been good uh, to me and to all of us, but sometimes we need a little explanation, and that's why we keep Brett Johnson handy. He is a partner at the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm, SWLaw.com. Brett, how are you this Wednesday?
0: Good, good. Thank you for having me, Seth.
1: Joe Walsh was a little before your time, so uh, that, uh, that music intro we did there. So if you didn't, if you didn't pick up my music reference, we will, we will forgive you on that. We'll forgive you. (laughs) I wanted to talk to you about a phrase we hear this time every couple of years, this time of year every every couple of years, which is uh, voter challenges. There's different ways to put that phraseology, but challenging a voter, particularly when it comes, uh, as it will, at the ballot box with the in-person voting, but also perhaps maybe there's an aspect to it with the mail-in ballots we're all receiving now. Brett, talk to me about what it means to challenge a voter. How it can be done, who does it, what we're talking about with this very pregnant phrase?
0: Yes, and 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 it gets it gets complicated because a lot of people they challenge a voter for a lot of variety of different reasons, and they don't really actually mean challenging the voter, but challenging the voter actually has a legal terminology,
1: yeah,
0: um, and it happens both for mail in ballots and it happens for people who vote um on the day of the election which right. is the more traditional challenge right. and let's let's go back through history you know i mean everybody used to know everybody in town yeah. so when somebody showed up and they're like you don't belong here um you would literally verbally challenge that person And as part of the election process, when you're voting in person, there's always, quote-unquote, a judge. It's not a real judge, but that's what they call them. And then there's um, inspectors. And as part of that process, you go to the judge and you go, I challenge that person, and I do not believe that they're qualified to vote in this election, which means a lot of different things. usually registered to vote within that district. They're not from here. Um, And so that has now morphed into a lot of other variety of different different connotations. Um, So but but reality is, is that literally challenging that person now for the mail-in ballots here in Arizona, we have a lot of mail-in ballots that has been the trend throughout the country in many cases. And that has usually been somebody who's appointed by one of the various political parties, Greens, Libertarians, Republicans, Democrats, who are literally Roll, uh, roving the tables where the ballot is coming in, the signature is reviewed, and somebody is challenging whether or not that signature is valid or if there's no signature.
3: Brett, um, but, uh, so
0: that, pause that the,
1: on pause on that. Just sorry for a second on that, sure. Brett. Can anyone do that sure. challenge? Can anyone do that challenge?
0: In theory, yes, but to get into that room um, in this day and age, you have to be appointed by one of the certified political okay. parties within okay. that county. A lot of people think it's a state, well, I'm a Republican, or I'm a Democrat, and you know I'm here on behalf of the state political party. No, it's still local. Yeah. You have to okay. have that county party share certification. It's usually a colored certification. Okay. And, and go through, for the most political parties, go through some sort of training to do that. And that's even on the poll observers. Now, in, in my experience doing this for the last 16, 17 years, is that the poll observers rarely make a challenge. In, in reality, is they're, they're collecting data, passing it back up to a central area, usually called a war room, and then they're trying to see if there's a systemic kind of violation that is going on, and, and then that is then reported to county authorities or even state authorities, and the process is is tried to handle at the local level. Mm-hmm. But very rarely is there a challenge, but... You know, there has been the person who's coming right behind somebody in line and saying, hey, that person didn't sign or that person doesn't live at that address or that person didn't provide the identification. And they're challenging them on the spot. And a judge comes over and if it gets to a higher level, then it goes to a board and the board makes a determination whether or not that person's qualified to vote very very rare in my experience to be
1: okay. honest with you. Uh Brett what are what are beyond beyond not recognizing someone and boy I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember when I was growing up with my parents they would take me to vote. It was I think over at the Unitarian Church on Lincoln and we knew everyone in line. We knew everyone in line and they knew us. Yeah. But beyond the Perhaps not recognizing someone being voted uh, as a voter in the right precinct or in the right area. What would be some of the other typical things that would find uh, would raise eyebrows or that would find uh, would find suker in the in the minds of these quote unquote judges?
0: Yeah, so it, it's all delineated by statute. It's all within Title 16. But the traditional ones are a, a kid tries to show up and vote for their parent. You know, they're 16, 17 years old. They're not 18. And they, they, they are obviously, obviously misrepresenting that they're their parents and they're not age 18. So they're not qualified. They're not registered to vote in that, um, in that precinct or that area. Um, they're not a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. That's also a requirement in yeah. the state of Arizona and most states.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and, and so they're, uh, the, the other, the other requirements is that you're not a felon. So yeah. sometimes people would show up and they're, especially in the smaller communities, like, Hey, I know you got convicted for a felony. That person's not allowed to vote. So there's a a bunch of allegations that you can't vote. Usually, though, a lot of people concept that the challenge is on, on ballot security or the election voter integrity. And that morphs into what I was talking about in the beginning. It's like not really a challenge, but they're really contesting what is happening at a polling place. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. Our universities are probably the worst places for this because it's kind of a party atmosphere. There's not a lot of controls. So there's like politicking within the 75-foot limit. There's videotaping within the 75-foot limit, both not appropriate when you're talking about mail-in ballots. Ballot harvesting. Uh, The other side calls it ballot collection, but ballot harvesting. So somebody shows up at a polling location with 75 ballots and somebody says that person shouldn't be carrying 75 ballots. That's no way. It's within their family, etc. That is a challenge, too, but in a different kind of context, using a different statute, but people say challenge.
1: Brett, can I pretend to be your law professor for a moment and give you a quiz because this was the sure. tool I was taught in law school? You have to learn how to branch out from an issue, and you mentioned something that I need to ask you about because i 'm getting a lot of calls on it, and you said it the citizenship part arizona 's being sued right over requiring uh, citizenship uh, for for, for to, to to vote here in our elections. And I had a guest the other day on air asked me if I think, you know, that's going to be held up or not. And I said, you know, I got to tell you, I think the days of black letter law, from my perspective, is anyone's guess anymore. But what's your sense of this challenge, buddy?
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, there was there was a case that's on point and that and that if you want to vote in a federal election, you have to be provided a federal ballot to be able to vote for Congress, vice president, U.S. president. Um, and that has and and, and and going back to the history of of our laws, the U.S. Congress um, is able to set the rules for its own election, right. and the states have to follow that. Right. And so that's the context here. That's why that same law does not apply to state elections. So mm-hmm. somebody who's not properly registered mm-hmm. doesn't want to show their citizenship they're able to go in and ask for a federal ballot. Uh Um, In many times they don't make the request correctly and they're provided a provisional ballot and that ballot is not usually counted at the end of the day because the citizenship is not verified. So um, it's going to be an uphill battle for for any state that wants to do that. However, you know, the federal government can change that requirement um, at any point and that's, uh, I think, what... At least the, when, I, when I looked at the hearing for the Arizona legislature, it was very clear they were trying to make a message to D.C. Um, to, to um, basically solidify the law on that issue. And
1: we can do that with just a law passed at a majoritarian level in the House and whatever it takes these days with cloture in the Senate, right, signed by a president. Exactly. But then we have the question right. of who's going to sign it over at 1600 Breck uh, Brett Johnson, the Snell and Wilmer law firm, SWLaw.com. You're a gem. Thank you, sir. You're a prince. We love you. Perfect. Thank you. You betcha. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. First, my last, my everything. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. Um, Someone just forwarded me a a piece. I think it was just posted, like probably within the last hour or so at the Wall Street Journal website, WSJ. J dot com from Dan Henninger, uh, Daniel Henninger. He's one of these columnists who, uh, you know, we we do this with a few people. He's like Peggy Noonan in uh, what I said about uh, what I said about her once, which is what someone said about Winston Churchill once, which is when he's good, he's great. And when he's wrong. Oh, my God. This is one of the good and greats from Dan Henninger. But it's not exactly they forwarded it to me asking this, is what I was talking about when Joe Biden when I was talking earlier in the hour about Joe Biden calling our climate crisis. An emergency or our climate situation and emergency uh, the title of this piece national emergency and the Democrats apocalyptic politics we talk about that all the time it's well worth a read it is a good column it's a slightly different angle it goes really if anything more to the monologue I did yesterday about the notion of how we live with images more images and illusions these days more than in reality uh, for Democrats, politics has become showtime, Henninger writes. On Tuesday, 17 House Democrats, including AOC, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib, staged a made-for-Instagram arrest outside the Supreme Court. Then the committee investigating the invasion of the Capitol uh, by, uh, the, uh, on January 6th went primetime Thursday evening uh, of last week. The committee has created its own logo. January 6th, which looms on a gray screen above the committee. So you have House Democrats getting arrested. You have primetime hearings on gray screens with a January 6th logo over them. Let no one one doubt it. Sitting in not-so-distant memory is an event of similar political consequence, and it's the summer of 2020, what no one really wants to talk about anymore, the summer of 2020, With the past few weeks showing how that remarkable time has transformed the politics of the Democratic Party. And I want to talk about that, how the Democratic Party has been transformed by the year 2020 and the summer of 2020, because, as I said, COVID is coming back. We thought BLM went into the dustbin of history with all the revelations about what Patrice Coulours and her uh, fellow travelers were up to. And that's the exact right phrase for it, her fellow travelers. They're back, too, and you may not know about it. But you got to be ready for it. I mean, this dagger in the uh, dagger in the chest has not put them down. This Dracula keeps coming back. All of them keep coming back, which is why we have to win decisively. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back.